All right, so for, for those of you who didn't know, this is uh, Christmas Sweater Sunday. Uh, that's why I'm dressed in this sweater. Uh, there's a picture, um, be, it's not behind me right now, but uh, when, when Diane heard that we were organizing a Christmas Sweater Sunday, she went out and bought me a Yoda Christmas sweater. Uh, so I rocked that this week, took a picture, but I just said I cannot do Yoda on Sunday. It just isn't going to work. Um, but if you are here in person, you can snap a picture and you can actually upload it um, to a website. Same as if you're, if you're at home, there's a website, there should be instructions on our app about that. In the back room, there's a, one of those uh, SKU codes that you can just you know, take a picture of and it'll pop you right to the right place about that. And uh, as Adam said, we are looking forward to compiling all of those and uh, putting them together for our online streaming cr Christmas Eve uh, service that's coming up in just a few days. Uh, and we're looking forward to a lot of participation in that. That's going to be a really exciting time. Uh, we have been making our way over the past few weeks through some of the classic Christmas songs. Um, this, this morning, uh, I've chosen one of my personal favorites. It's a song called, Do You Hear What I Hear? Not sure if you're familiar with it. I, I do need to clarify that it's the Andy Williams version of that song that I have in mind um, because that's the version that I grew up listening to. And uh, it's the one that plays in my head whenever I hear this song. And, uh, and so this song is it's kind of like a creative retelling of the Christmas story through a series of questions. Do you hear what I hear? Uh, do you know what I know? Do you see what I see? And it just kind of charts this, this journey. I do, however, have to make a few disclaimers about the song in that it does stray a bit from the actual Christmas story. Okay, so a couple of examples. Like there's a part in the song where it says, this child, child, shivering in the cold, let us bring him silver and gold. Okay, two things. Number one, there's no mention of Jesus shivering in the cold. Um, and number two, wouldn't it make sense that if you were shivering in the cold, silver and gold isn't going to help. Bring the kid a blanket, right? Um, but, uh, but, but, and also later on in the song, uh, sorry, this is what happens when you get a teacher who like picks apart things. But uh, it says, uh, you know, said the king to the people everywhere, um, listen to what I say, this child will, will, will bring us goodness and light. It sounds good, but we're going to find out this morning that's not quite how the king responded to the news about this this child. But here's what happens. Like, this is what, this is what happens with artists who, you know, create songs and such. They call it creative license, which is just an excuse for making stuff up, I think. Um, fun fact about me that you probably didn't know, I actually had the opportunity to meet the guy who wrote this song. Isn't that amazing? Like, I thought this song was written, like, hundreds of years ago, because it sounded that, but uh, way back it must have been the early to mid-90s. Uh, we were at this restaurant in, in Ridgefield, Connecticut. It was my uncle's uh, birthday party. And there's this guy playing piano in the restaurant. And my aunt says, Brian, you have to meet this guy. I was, uh, I, I was and trying to learn piano at that time and very, um, very into music. Um, she introduced me to him. His name was Noel. 
You know, you got to have a name like Noel to write a Christmas song, right? Noel Regney, and um, I got to talking to him a bit, really nice guy. Uh, he told me his story. Um, he played the song, and uh, I remember him mentioning how grateful he was that this song that he wrote so many years ago got recorded a few times, uh, and every time it got re recorded, he'd receive royalties. And so he was happy that uh, at the time it was Mariah Carey. Um, her version of that song was out at the time. Um, so anyway, my motivation, though, for, for choosing this song in particular is it's a story about a star, and, and it's about this journey to Jesus. And perhaps you've heard um, about this event that's coming up this week, this astronomical um, event. It's actually happening tomorrow night. There's been a lot of buzz about this Christmas star that's coming. That's what it's been referred to, uh, the appearance of a Christmas star. Um, so I did a little bit of research. It's actually what they call a planetary conjunction. It's between Jupiter and Saturn. It happens once about every 20 years. And so tomorrow night, if the skies are clear, which I think the forecast shows they should be, right about dusk, look in the southeast sky, and you may catch a glimpse of this, um, this, this star. Um, it's highly unlikely that this is the same star uh, that uh, the wise men followed in the story um, that we're going to look at this morning, but, but it does remind us of, of, of their story and, and of the star and of the journey that they went on. So, um, so what we're going to do is just open up our Bibles, and uh, in Matthew chapter 1, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 2, let's, let's read the real story together. Here, here's what it says. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And getting into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Okay, so here's this, this journey uh, that, that was taken by this group of men, and I kind of break it down into three things. First is the, the road trip, second the pit stop, and then third the the arrival, the destination. So, um, so starting out, let's look at the, the road trip. You know, this is, this is sort of like the original 
Christmas road trip. You know, there's a lot less traveling going on this season. Uh, I do remember our family years back, uh, there were a few years when we would pack up the minivan, we'd cram everyone inside, and we would spend Christmas morning driving south, heading to my parents' house in Florida. Um, there was actually one year, if my memory serves me correct, where it was all six of us in the minivan, and believe it or not, we also had two dogs in there with us. Um, if, if I'm right, that was the last road trip to Florida that we took, and that's probably not a big surprise, right? Um, but in, in this case, uh, it's this entourage of, of what the ESV translation describes as wise men who set out on this trip. The Greek word for this group of guys is magoi, and that's where we get the word magi from. And then just to complicate things a little bit more, um, they're also sometimes referred to as kings. Now that one, you can blame on the song, We Three Kings, right? That's another one of those, uh, you know, creative licensing things, uh, because they weren't kings, and the Bible doesn't tell us that there was just three of them. Um, there were three gifts, but not just three kings or three, three people. So, you know, we are clearing up just a little bit of Christmas confusion, maybe. Uh, but magi is what their official title was. And, uh, and wise men kind of describes what they did, the role that they filled. Uh, our English word magic actually comes from that Greek word magi, magoi. Um, and that kind of describes a little bit about what they were about, what they did. They would spend their days uh, gazing at the stars, studying philosophy, and, and dabbling even in occultic practices. Their goal was they were on this concerted quest to tap into what they believed to be the unfolding plan of the universe. They wanted to discover what the purpose of life was. All right, so, so the Magi were seekers. They, they were looking for answers to the big questions of life. Questions like, who are we? Why are we here? What is life all about? I got to tell you, these are the kind of questions that we all need answers to if the goal of life is to live with, with purpose, with intention, and with meaning. We need answers to those big questions. We, we need to know that we're connected to something that's just bigger than ourselves living out our own existences, that we're living for a bigger purpose than just make lots of money and buy lots of stuff, right? Because I don't have to tell you, there is no shortage of people who have plenty of money in their bank accounts, but their lives are bankrupt when it comes to meaning and hope and purpose, the things that, that really matter. And, and, you know, the trend in our day is, seems to me to be to, let's avoid those big questions, and let's instead stay in an ongoing state of distraction, kind of feel like that describes our society today. I don't know that there's ever been a time in history when there have been so many ways to find ourselves distracted. Power on your headphones and tune out, right? Turn on a screen, binge and escape. Pop open a bottle and numb out. You name it, you can do it. And, 
And, and I, I would say that in the season of shutdown that we've been in, tuning out has been communicated as almost being a virtue. And, and personally, if there's one thing that scares me more than anything about this state of shutdown that we're in, it's, it's that. Uh, we, we can't tune out if our goal is to live with purpose, with intention. Now, for the Magi, they had these questions, these big questions, and those questions started them on a quest, right? And even though they weren't going about it exactly the right way, they, they recognized that there were some missing pieces to the puzzle that needed to get found and filled in. And finding that, that meant more than anything else. And, and what I love is that this story shows that God met them right where they were. That's been my experience as well, that, that when someone gets real and starts to honestly search out the answers to the big questions, God is usually right there. He, he meets us where we're at. In, in the case of the Magi, the Lord powers on this high beam spotlight up in the sky, and it starts them on the journey of a lifetime from Babylon to Bethlehem, a 900-mile road trip. That journey would have taken them the better part of an entire year or more. So by the time they get to Jesus, he may have been a year old. Just, just imagine that, you know. But, but they set out on this journey. They, they invested their time. They invested their effort. They invested their resources to find the missing piece of the puzzle because they knew that it mattered. And so let me ask the question as we look at their road trip, what, what are you investing in? Uh, where is your time, your energy, your resources going? And that's the way of asking, where's my life heading? What road trip is my life on? See, we're all going somewhere. And, and the question is, is, is my life heading towards a zip code of places that really matter? I, I want to challenge you, if you haven't already, go for it. Ask the big questions. Why am I here? What is, things, what is life all about? And, and let those questions start you on a quest. And by the way, expect to meet God along the way on that journey. So that's a bit of the road trip. Let's move um, from the road trip to as the Magi are on their way, just as they're about to reach their destination, they make a pit stop. Uh, they make a pit stop in the royal city of Jerusalem and stop and ask directions. And this is where they first cross paths with a, with a counterfeit king. Uh, here's, here's what it says. It says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This is the, the Magi asking this question. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will rule and shepherd my people Israel. And Herod summoned the wise men secretly, ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Okay, so um, 
So first off, this is, this is the pit stop. And, and I think uh, this kind of like demonstrates just how wise the, my, the wise men really were, right? Because do I have to tell you this? That most men uh, will do just about anything to avoid stopping on a trip to ask for directions, right? Um, I know there are plenty of downsides to smartphones and such like that, but how many of us have actually stopped to thank God for Waze, right? Do you remember life before Waze or before Google Maps? It wasn't that long ago when, when I'd be driving the family caravan on a road trip, you know, and I'd end up kind of lost, right? Um, not really lost, just kind of lost, because if you don't know this, guys don't get really lost. Guys only get kind of lost, which in, in our minds, or at least in my mind, that means I am only one turn away from being back on track. And so at some point in the course of finding that one turn away, the suggestion would be offered very lovingly, very caringly, by a certain someone in the car who I'm not going to name her name. Uh, she sat in the front passenger seat, and she'd say something like, Honey, what do you think about stopping at a gas station to ask for directions? Well-intentioned, right? But guys, you understand that stopping for directions is sort of like an admission of defeat, right? That's kind of what it is, at least for me. I will do anything to avoid stopping for directions, and that means keep on driving, get more lost than I was already, and then eventually a half an hour later, admit defeat, stop for directions, and get back on track. Am I, am I the, anyone else? Anyone else but me? Yeah, we've been there, right? So these wise men were a lot wiser than I usually was, and, and the entourage pulls into Jerusalem, and they ask for directions. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We're, we're in the royal city, so this is the place they would expect the royal king to be. But they quickly find out that... Uh, no one has a clue about who or what they're talking about. King Herod, all the insiders in Jerusalem, they don't know what the Magi know. They don't know. They haven't heard the news that a king has been born. And, and you just can't miss the irony of what's happening right here, right? It's the outsiders, the guys from Babylon they are sharing the good tidings of great joy with the insiders in the royal city. They're the first ones to announce the one born king of the Jews. That's a tragic thing. And, and, and that wasn't actually welcome news to King Herod. He didn't like the sound of what he heard. It says that he was troubled when he heard this news about a newborn king Reason being is that in his mind, Jerusalem, that was his city. That was his turf and his kingdom. He recognized and understood, I've got to protect that. I've got to protect that from any rivals because there's only room for one king of the Jews. And Herod had no plans of stepping down to the throne for anyone. Herod uh, had used a strategy of, of distraction um, to keep the Jewish people at bay, to keep them from, from rebelling against the obvious reality that everyone knew, that's that he was not the king of the Jews. 
He was not their king. He'd been appointed um, to that position by Emperor Augustus, but everyone knew he wasn't line. He wasn't from the line of David. Um, And so what he did is he built stuff for the Jewish nation. He built all kinds of things to try to placate them and keep them happy enough so they wouldn't uprise and rebel. He built built, um, fortresses and amphitheaters. He even rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. He also built a temple to himself that he invited people to go to so they could worship him as well. But, But deep down inside, Herod must have known he didn't belong on that throne. He, he ranks as, as one of history's most insecure rulers. He had this obsessive paranoia. And that, when you combine that with absolute power, it led to some pretty tragic outcomes. He had many of his own family members imprisoned and, and, and executed, including his wife Miriam and, and two of his own sons. Um, Emperor Augustus was famously quoted as saying, better to be one of Herod's pigs than his sons. So this is, this is who was on the throne at the time. And so you can just imagine what's going through his head when he hears the news from the Magi foreigners that there's another king that's been born, this other king of the Jews. He gets it. Even though he's just been born, even though he's just a baby, he feels that threat. And the plot to eliminate the baby is underway. He calls in the Bible experts Hey, pinpoint the location. Tell me where he is. And when they search the scriptures, the prophecies all point to the little town of Bethlehem, just a few miles away from the holy city, from the royal city. And by the way, that does show us there's something there to see that if you want to find Jesus, open up your Bible. He's in there. This whole book points to him. The Old Testament the Gospels, the New Testament. But, but Herod sends the Magi on their way, and, and he tells them, once you find the king, let me know, because I want to go there and worship him with you. That's, that's what he said, but what he meant was, let me know where that child is so I can go there and take the baby out, right? Now, Herod may be one of history's most flawed figures, But there is one thing that that he understood, that he saw clearly, that he got right. That is that he recognized that Jesus is a threat. He's a threat. He was right about that. When, When Jesus enters onto our turf, into our lives, he threatens our rule. He threatens our reign. Because anywhere he goes, he enters as the rightful king, and the ultimate authority. And what's true of Jerusalem is also true of our lives. No life is big enough for two kings. Jesus' first call is what? Follow me. It's always his first call. And that requires a transfer of power. That requires that we step out from the driver's seat, off of the throne, and we vacate that so he can step in. And we all ultimately will respond to that call to follow him in one of two ways. We either take our cues from Herod. That means we resist his reign. We do whatever we can to maintain control of our own lives and push Jesus out at all costs. Or the other option is we acknowledge him as Lord. 
and we step down off the throne and we follow his lead. Those are ultimately the only two options. And the question is, which is the posture of my life? Which is the posture of your life? What, what are we reflecting? There, there is in every life, when you hear about the Lordship of Christ, there is an instant stubborn resistance. Expect that. It's going to come. You know what that sounds like? It's something inside saying, no, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to have my own way. And, and I find it helpful to kind of recognize that. Hi, hey, there you are. There's that stubborn resistance again. The first step of discipleship, the first step of walking with Jesus is squashing that rebellion, squashing that independent attitude. There is no next step in your walk with Christ until that step has been taken. Um, and once it's taken, it will take you far. What's, what's so fascinating about this story is that what we see is even as Herod is plotting, scheming to take Jesus out, you know what happens? What he actually does is he actually fulfills the prophetic scriptures. And in so doing, he clarifies for the people of, of his day and for people of every day since then that this Jesus this baby who was born is indeed, in fact, the true Messiah, the legitimate Savior, the King of the Jews. He fit that fingerprint of the Savior that the Scriptures, the prophecies foretold. And, and that also tells us to take note that working against Jesus will only serve to further accomplish His purposes. I think this must be the ultimate frustration for the enemy, for Satan. All of his schemes, all of his plots, all that he does serves nothing more ultimately than to further the work of God and what Jesus is doing. But having said that, there is a very, there's a very dark postscript to the Christian story. I didn't read it in the passage. The, the passage that immediately follows this gives more detail um, about what happens um, in Bethlehem after the Magi leave. And it's a story of a mass murder that, that Herod took. Herod kills all of the baby boys in Bethlehem. There's, there's not too many Christmas songs I've ever heard about that. Um, and here's the thing. This pit stop that the Magi took, that set in motion that first attempt, the very first attempt on Jesus' life take him out. But it wasn't the only attempt. There would be, over time in the years to come, many more. And we know, ultimately, one attempt su succeeded. The rightful king of the Jews was nailed to a cross. And Jesus died a brutal, unjust death. And yet, even that ultimate act of injustice itself accomplished God's sovereign purposes. He won the ultimate victory for you and for me, and Jesus took the full punishment for my sin on himself and made it possible for his righteousness to be given to you and to me so we can be made right with God. That's how the plan of God continued to move forward. You know, pit stops are, are a good place to refuel, 
They're also a good place to reset. And that happens as we ask ourselves the question, who's in charge? Who's in charge of my life? Who's calling the shots? Is it Jesus or is it me? And as you do that, I want you to consider, how did it turn out for Herod? Who resisted the reign? He, he died, his, his kingdom turned to dust. He's all but a forgotten figure in the annals of history. And Jesus, on the other hand, is alive, victorious over death and reigning both in heaven and here on earth in the hearts of those who follow him. So, so we looked at the journey, we looked at the pit stop, and the final scene here is the, uh, is the magi reaching their destination. Let's just uh, go over that one more time. Here's what it says. It says, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You know, there's, there's nothing quite like arriving at the place you're getting to, right? The journey is fun, but getting to your destination, that's what it's all about. You get out of the car, you set foot on the ground, and you're there. You're finally there. This last scene shows the Magi finally reaching the place they had been traveling to for so long. The star returns for an encore performance. It points them to the exact location that they were searching for. Again, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that tomorrow night's star event is going to do that. Um, But the focus here on this passage is on what the Magi find when they finally arrive at the house and see the child. And Matthew communicates that by describing the way they respond. He says, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. The question of Christmas is, do we see what they saw, right? Because the Magi, they saw a whole lot more than just some cute little toddler, someone who's maybe crawling around the floor or maybe just learning how to walk. What what they saw was the ultimate object of worship. They saw the one of ultimate worth. And so they respond appropriately. Fall to the ground. It's this response of surrender. And it's this, this is the response that Herod and the Jerusalem insiders, they just would never give. They were never willing to give. This response sent the message loud and clear. It's not about us. It's all about him. And that gets to the heart of what Christmas really is all about. It's a season to see Jesus for who he is and then to simply respond appropriately by making much of him, making much of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And, you know, I I do hope that all of us have some really great moments over this Christmas holiday with family and friends and traditions and all that stuff. But, but at the same time, let's do it in a way that keeps Christ front and center. 
That's the challenge, you know, because Christmas isn't about the children. It's about the child. And, and Christmas, it's not about the gifts that we give. Just like this story, it's not about the treasures that the Magi gave. It's about the treasure they found when they came to Jesus, the treasure that was under that star. They found someone who was so great that he was worthy of giving up their own treasures for. They took the best of what they had and they laid it at his feet. And that's just simply the response of seeing and encountering greatness. That's when you know you've tapped into something that really matters. That's when hope and purpose and significance starts flowing into our veins because they've seen, they've found, they've encountered that missing piece of the puzzle, the one who holds it all together, the one who actually split history in two, the one who will ultimately culminate history and bring it to an end, the one who gave willingly everything for you and for me, to give us peace, to give us purpose. And all of that is wrapped up in this child, that first Christmas. And today, here we are 2,000 years later. And let me just say it, Jesus, this child, this Savior is still changing lives all over this planet. This life continues to have an impact unlike any other life throughout the course of world history. You know, there are those who today, actually not just today, they've been saying this for generations. They've been saying and making the prediction that Jesus and this whole Christian faith stuff, it's going to phase out. It's going to soon be a non-factor. They, they've been saying that for years, right? I think it was maybe before I was even born where Time Magazine had the cover article, God is dead, you know, basically like he's an afterthought. He doesn't matter anymore. It's not relevant to our world today. It, there's, there's a recent Washington Post piece that, that clarifies that, make no mistake, Christianity is not dying. It is shifting, but it's growing rapidly, dramatically, unlike it ever has before, greater now than it ever has before. It, it's growing in different places. In Latin America, in Africa alone, those two places account for one billion Christ followers. Uh, Asia has doubled the growth of Christians to its population. God is at work in amazing ways, explosive ways. And here's what we're finding, is that what used to be the epicenter, which is America and Europe, it's no longer. There's been a shift. And, and that's okay. It's not the first time it's happened. It's happened before. The first shift was from Jerusalem to Rome, and then from, from Europe to America, and now it's from America to Asia and, and Latin America and, and Africa. And, and you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like the Great Commission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, to every nation. It's being fulfilled, and it's a good thing. In our world, in our society, we, we tend to assume quite arrogantly that we've progressed beyond the need for things like faith and Jesus. 
all of these ancient superstitions that the societies used to have in place to explain the things that couldn't be explained. But now we know better. We've got science. We've got technology. It's just not relevant anymore. Let's watch and see how that plays out. Let's watch. It's going to continue to unravel and fall apart. And as that does, you know what happens when you take God out of the equation and you try to exchange it for technology and science? That net will run thin, it will break apart, and it will fall into a pit of despair. And that's where so much in our society is right now, in despair. Because here's the thing. Science, it can help answer some of the what questions. It can't answer any of the why questions. It just can't. It can't answer any of the big questions. Those questions are still there. And now and always, they are the ones that matter most. And the claim of the Christian faith is that they are found, they are bound up, they are wrapped up in this child that we celebrate on Christmas. Let me close with a, with a poem that you may have heard before. It's called One Solitary Life. It says this, He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in still another village where he worked until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He did none of the things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to the cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race, the leader in mankind's progress. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned, and maybe I would add a few of the leaders that we look up to today, all the businessmen, the Bill Gates, the Elon Musks, put them all together, that they have not affected the life of man on earth so much as this one solitary life.